Tony's way too kind, but I, I appreciate that. May the Lord forgive him for saying those things, and may he forgive me for believing every one of them. <laughs> well, um, if you'd like to, what I would uh, like to do in this session here is to think about a chapter in the Bible that I'd like to set before you today and urge you to take it away from here with you. And that would be the love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to talk to you about how to memorize this chapter. You know, the, the Bible teaches us that memorization is a good thing, you know, in, in the Psalms. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee, Psalm 19 and 11. And um, we certainly want to memorize the word of God. Is our salvation dependent on our memory? Well, Paul said it was in part, you remember, in 1 Corinthians 15, 2, a passage we looked at this morning, where he says, By which you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Well, if there is any way in which my memory is connected with my salvation, then I want to remember some things. And some have great ability. Young people have, I think, more ability than older to remember and to, to be able to recite things. But all of us can certainly benefit from making the effort. And when I set out to try to memorize Scripture, I did it just to be familiar with the Scripture. And then sometimes it will stick, you know. And that's the kind of way you do it is repetition, going over and over it. Uh, if, um, if we're right about this, I know there are, there are five external senses, you know, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and feeling. But uh, you check it out and see if we don't have five internal senses. And uh, I think they would be perception, reflection, memory, reason, and judgment. Yeah, well, you just check that out and say, some of you are a lot smarter than I am, mostly a lot smarter than I am. But I just want you to think about that. Memory is one of our internal senses. When I can go through and remember things and commit them to memory, I'm utilizing a sense that I have, and all of us have that sense, the varied abilities. So in 1 Corinthians 13, what I'd like to discuss with you, with your permission, is the opportunity to look at this chapter and think about memorizing the chapter. One of the things that helps in doing that is to kind of break it down so you're not looking at all 13 verses as, as a unit, but you break it down to see what it is in each one of the verses and then what's in the chapter. I've got a three-point outline in my mind about this chapter, and if it can benefit you, I hope it will. The first point in the outline would take us from verses 1 to 3, and it would be the importance of love. And then in verses 4 to 8, the ingredients of love. You might have seen I flashed that up there. I want to discuss those ingredients with you. And then last is the indestructibility of love, verse 8 to 13. So maybe you could take each one of those sections and strive to commit that to memory and, and move through it. The importance of love, the ingredients of love, the indestructibility of love. And then taking a look when we get to the ingredients of love, going over and over those because there are 16 of those there. And we want to be able to, to capture those. Well, why would this chapter be important? I mean, you've got, you've got your priorities. I've got mine. You've got things to do. Well, why would a recommendation of this be expected to be taken up on by most all of us here today? Well, if you'll remember on one occasion in Matthew chapter 22, it's recorded, where Jesus is asked a question. Remember the question? Now, these people were trying to take a dig at Christ. They were trying to find in some way to discredit him. And so they didn't do anything all day long but sit around and talk about the 613 commandments in the Old Testament, which one's greater than the other, and by which they might uh, nullify one of the commandments by another one, if that would be possible. But anyway, that's all they did. 
They were like the pe- people at Athens who spent their time in either nothing but hearing or telling some new thing. Well, these scribes and Pharisees there in Jerusalem didn't spend their time doing anything but going through the Old Testament and looking at it from the standpoint of which of these is the greatest commandments and having an argument about it. And so they thought, now, if we've had arguments about this all of our lives, we ought to be able to trap him with something. Surely we can get him here. We can never come to resolution on this. So let's just ask the master teacher about it. So when they asked Jesus, he unhesitatingly said, when they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. The second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What's he saying? He's saying that love is basic to everything in the Old Testament. If you don't get this, you can sit around and argue about what the commandments are all day, but you've missed it because they all hang or hinge or rest on this principle, and that is love of God. And I'd like to say just here and now that when we talk about the gospel plan of salvation, Love is always at the basis of that. It is always the assumption that we love God. And I think that when we begin to talk about hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized, we need to keep in mind that that is based upon our love for God. Because if we don't love God, we're not going to hear what He has to say. It'll be hard for us to believe Him. I'm hearing a lot of people today, I don't know how it is with you in talking to people, they'll say, I believe in Jesus. Oh, I believe in Jesus. And my question is, if you believe in Jesus, why don't you believe Jesus? Why don't you believe what he said? So many are having trouble with Mark 16, 16. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. They say, well, I don't believe that. Well, then you don't believe him. How can you believe in him? And they will embellish putting your trust and confidence in him. How can you do that and you don't believe him? You've got to start by believing him. On one occasion, we were getting the gospel broadcasting system in the Shelby County Penal Farm over in Memphis. They had at that time about 3,500 inmates, 13 or 14 buildings over there. And the oldest building, built in 1928, and if you're older than that building, I apologize, but it's like a dungeon back in there. And we had to know every closet, every crawl space, every void in that place to be able to run cabling in there to get the system. And so I have to go through there and look at that. Well, I get back in the back where they have their most hardened criminals back there. And there's a guy in charge of them who looks like a wooden Indian, about 6'5", stone-faced, dark man, comes up to me. He's the guy in charge. You can tell that right off. And he asked me, what do you want here? And I said, Sir, I need to look at every crawl space, void, closet, everything you got. We need to run some cabling back here for the Gospel Broadcasting Network. He said, do you believe in Jesus? And the thought in my mind was, yes, sir, now more than ever. <laughs> he said, that's all I need to hear then. I said, well, I want to, that's all I need to hear. That's not all he needed. Here's all he wanted. Here's all he would hear. But I use that to illustrate that sometimes that's the way of folks. They say, well, no, I believe in Jesus. They say they believe in him, but they don't believe him. That's a real problem. Well, in order for us to believe him, we've got to love him. In that passage on the greatest commandment, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart's mind. Well, what is the definition of love? You know, if we were to define love, write it down on a piece of paper, we might put things like endearment, affection, you know, those kinds of things. Well, here in 1 Corinthians 13, 
God defines love and what he means by it. And that's another reason that I, I wanted to study this with you, is especially to benefit those who are younger who are contemplating courtship and marriage. When somebody says, I love you, you need to find out what do you mean by that? What's, what do you mean? If you'll take those ingredients and sit down with your betrothed and go over those ingredients, you'll find out whether or not they love you. And if you want to express your love for them, they'll be able to see that as you relate to them how you feel about them based upon the Bible definition of love. Now here in 1 Corinthians 13, the word in the King James Version is translated charity. And I always substitute the word love there because... It is from the Greek agape, agapao, the noun in the verb form. And it means love, and it is the highest form of love. And that's why in 1611 they selected the word charity. But you'll be seeing in your King James Version the word charity, and I'll be saying love. Well, that's just the way it is in my mind, and I think it's substantiated from what we have in the original. So let's take notice, 1 Corinthians 13. If you got your Bible with you, I think it would be good to, to have your Bible. I don't know if you make notes. Uh, Sheila wanted a copy of a Bible one time with big margins so she could write out there. And she, we found one, and she's got notes in her margins. i tell you what she did is when uh, the boys were coming up, she had notes in another Bible, all these notes she would take. And before she let the boys grow up and be on their own and leave the house, she took their Bible and made her notes in their Bible. <laughs> took her weeks and weeks to make all those notes. You need to know this. And you got Mama's notes in your Bible. Don't leave home without it. Well, I don't know how you do your Bible, but it would be good to have it open in front of you. One good memory tool to use is, I think it's repetition and deepening that thought in there. And I'm, now, I'm really you know, slow, so I have to go over and over again. The way that I used to do is I would take a 3 by 5 card and write the verse out. And just the process of writing that and looking at it, making sure it's right, proofreading what I wrote because it's imperfect, getting it written down on that card right, that helped. And then I'd keep the card in my pocket. Then I would go over it in my mind. And I would pull the card out and check myself on that. And you'd be able to do that, you know, not too many jobs where it's so intense you couldn't pull out a card and check to make sure your memory works going well. And in that way, you could memorize that passage. When you've got that card down really well, good. Now, here's a way you can test yourself on it. Of course, by reciting it. But then also, get out a pencil and piece of paper and try to write it down. And if you can write it back down, put it back down on paper, oh, you pretty much got it in there. Uh, one time, Brother Jesse Wilcox... Uh, over there at uh, Wilcox and over there at Preet Hardeman. He said that he liked to type his notes out and to preach from his notes. And I said, I have such trouble typing and have to go over it so many times that by the time I type my notes, well, I don't need them after that. I already know what they say because I've gone over and over. Well, that's the idea of writing down your memory work. Well, what are we talking about? Follow along with me here in 1 Corinthians 13. And I'll be putting love where charity appears in the King James. The Apostle Paul write, wrote, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all knowledge and all mystery, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, it profiteth me, or I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. 
Love never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. For now I know in part, but then shall I be known, even as also I am known. Now abideth faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I don't know of more beautiful language than you have in those first three verses of this chapter on the importance of love. Speaking with the tongues of men and of angels, and yet without love, there's, there's no merit in it. One bestowing all of his goods to feed the poor and giving his body to be burned, and yet without love, there is no profit there. In verses 4 through 8, I want you to notice the ingredients of love. The ingredients of love. First, the importance, one through three, then the ingredients, four through eight. Here they are, and I have, still have the word charity there for love. Let's run down through this list. There are 16 of these ingredients. This is an involved definition to love. Let's just take a minute. Well, what are we going to go to? The top of the hour? All right. Well, we'll wrap it up for the top of the hour. We'll be able to spend maybe about a half a minute on each one of these. And uh, let's see what we got. First, the word charity. This one I was telling you about is from agape. This is a feminine noun in the second declension, and it is translated love. And this is the highest form of love. There's phileo love, which emphasizes friendship, like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. But agape love is the pinnacle of love, a kind of love that seeks the betterment of another over one's own interests, a self-sacrificing kind of love, the kind of love that you have in John 3.16 where God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that's what we're talking about, love. Love does what? Well, it suffers long. It literally suffers long. And this from, you see your Greek word there? I thought you needed a lesson today. So here's your, here's your Greek lesson. Makrothemia, which means be patient. Love is patient. You know, as you're going through here and you think of these definitions of these words, kind of like reading a dictionary, you know, there's, there needs to be a context there. Just think about what context you could have. I've already mentioned if you want to demonstrate your love for someone, think about them and read through these 16 ingredients. If you want to know of your love for someone, their love for you, have a discussion about this. Think about how this relates in a local congregation. I'm telling you, where you have a congregation where these 16 ingredients are in place, you've got a happy, harmonious group of people who really have the basis of love of God and one another down. This is time well spent in thinking about what love really is. Love suffers long. Love is patient. You know, out of patience will come a number of blessings. Romans 5 will tell us about that. But love suffers long. There's an intensification of patience, and that's why the King James translators put suffering long. Not just only a matter of enduring, but enduring through hardship, whatever it takes. Love suffers long. In the next place, we find that love is kind. And uh, here's your Greek word for that. Um, Praestuitai. Useful, gracious, kind, gentle in behavior. I read recently somebody wrote that kindness is a, is a language that the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Some years ago, Dorsey Trawl was getting people to go to Thailand with him. I think he served as missionary over there for half a century. 
And um, the fellow he was asking to go said, I can't speak their language. I don't know how to talk to those people. What would be the point of my going? You know what he said? Dorsey said, you can smile, can't you? They will understand that smile. It translates in any language. Well, that's a way of kindness. It is a language that the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Being gentle in behavior, gracious or kind. Love has been expressed as kindness in small ways. So that's one of its qualities here. Then love envies not. And here you see the word, it's not. Uh, Zeloi. Not jealous. Not envious. Well, you know, you think, well, nobody is that way. We don't think of ourselves as that way. Good, we don't need to be. We need to take an examination on each of these ingredients of love and see if we're really the loving person we think we are. Am I envious of someone? Am I jealous of someone? If so, I'm not as loving as I need to be. Because love is not envious. It is not jealous. In the next place, love vaunteth not itself. That is, it's not vainglorious, no braggart. It does not boast itself. You know, have you ever noticed some people are hard to talk to because they don't talk about anything but themselves? And you like to get a word in edgewise and talk about yourself? Well, love doesn't vaunt itself, doesn't set itself out there. It's not vainglorious. It's not braggart. You just think about a person with the true quality of love. They're going to be easy to love, aren't they? They're not they're not uh, boisterous and vainglorious and braggart. They're kind. They're patient. These are all admirable qualities, and they translate to every field of endeavor. The next word here is not puffed up, and uh, this is not from uh, Fusi Utai. To puff oneself out like a pair of billows is not arrogant. Well, we've seen that it doesn't vaunt itself or boast itself, but it doesn't puff itself up. It's not arrogant. Love is not arrogant. And then uh, this one. Love does not behave itself unseemly. Something that is unseemly is not decent, not beha- does not behave improperly. Love is always properly behaved. And you see the Greek word there if you're interested in following along with that. So love is not unseemly. It doesn't behave itself in that way. That's all the time all the time, every circumstance and situation. That's why love is a challenging command for us. God is love. We follow in His steps for John 4 and 8. We learn about how to love from God as He loved us through Jesus Christ and through His church. And now then, we find out that love is does not behave itself unseemly. It always behaves properly. Uh, there was a fellow who, who was a gospel preacher and his little grandson was staying with him and he cut his kneecap. And had to go to the hospital. So he took him to the Bonner Hospital in Memphis. I heard about it, went up there to see him. And the little boy is sitting there. And he's got a cut across his kneecap that looked to me like it was about two or three inches long. Right over his, his kneecap exposed. And the man's wife had told me they're up there at the hospital. I said, well, I think I'll go up there to see him. So it had been an hour or two hours since he had that cut. And it wasn't bleeding. I don't know how, but it wasn't bleeding, but it just opened. And so I said, why aren't they seeing the boy? He said, they, well, a lot of other sick people here, and I guess they're more, their case is more urgent than this one. And, of course, I'm a little nervous about that, sitting next to an open wound. So I went over to the counter and I asked the nurse. I said, you know, you got a 10-year-old boy out here with an open wound out here. Some way you get him back here in the room or something? She said, well, a doctor ain't even here. I said, Y'all don't, you got all these people out here, and the, the doctor's not even here? She said, no. I said, well, this boy's needing some attention. And so I went back over to William and I said, 
William, I hate to tell you this, but the doctor's not even here. You may want to take it to the... What? The doctor's not here? William went to the counter and he says to the lady, You mean we've been sitting out here and you've been telling us the doctor's there, the patient's, and he's not even here? And he said, I want to take this boy out of here and go somewhere else. She said, Well, go ahead. And then William says to me, I told you that whole story to tell you this, because the boy's all, he got stitched up about six hours later at Methodist North, and he was just fine. But I told you that to tell you this. William says to me, do you think I behaved inappropriately when I told that woman what I did? And I said, no. I think you're a much better man than me. I'd have been hollering and screaming, doing backflips. My baby's cut out. You were very composed, I thought. I'd give you an A on that. I'm glad you were being graded and not me. Well, love doesn't behave itself unseemly in any circumstance. And I think about that quite a lot, William's example, because that's the way we always want to be. Even when there are matters of difference that clearly come up, we want to try to be loving all the time. Love does not behave itself unseemly. And then also, love does not seek her own. Zete te iates. It does not seek her own interests, but the interests of others. You remember when I was defining love and I told you that it's the highest form of love that seeks the interests of others? Well, here's where it's spelled out in this particular ingredient. It does not seek its own interests, but the interests of others. That's a pretty rare trait. I wonder if people really are as loving. Now, it is not easily provoked. That is, it is not irritable or greatly upset. Also, no irritation or sharpness of spirit. You know, a person who has this disposition... I don't want to call any names. <laughs> but you may know a person who has this disposition. Everything upsets them. It doesn't matter what it is. Like the lady who couldn't please her husband at breakfast. I know you've heard this old joke where, you know, she would scramble eggs. She'd say, I want them fried. If she fried them, he wanted them scrambled. So she thought, well, I'll fix him. She scrambled one egg and fried one egg and said, here's your breakfast, honey. And he said, you scrambled the wrong egg. Well, that's, that's, the, way, that's the way somebody who is easily provoked, they just stay in an irritable state and um, that's not very loving. They, they get greatly upset at the smallest things. Well, love is not easily provoked. And, you know, we think by now we probably know the things that are irritants to us or things that provoke us. We know which areas we need to work on in that connection so that we can just take a deep breath and go into it so that we can manage it in such a way as to be honorable and show the loving attitude we need. Well, that's love isn't easily provoked. Also, love thinketh no evil. Now that is, it does not reflect on evil. And here you have lagizatai takakon, evil. Does not count up or take account of as in a ledger or notebook. Does not aim to settle the account. When it says love thinks no evil, well sure it means you don't think about evil thoughts. But also the words as you see here, and that's one reason I want to put these words up to let you see, get a little background on it. It runs a little deeper. Love does not take record or account of things that are done. Let me give you an example, true life example. I know of a lady who's an elder's wife, and something happened in the congregation more than 40 years ago, and she will not allow any interaction between those two congregations. She's not going to have it. Friends, she's not going to have it. Because things went on that were unpleasant, she didn't like it, and I'm sure there's right and wrong on both sides of that as there is on any issue. But on one occasion, I asked her husband, who's an elder, would, would you have a little more interaction with this? Could we have a person from there here? You know what the answer was? You know what her husband said? The elder in the Lord's church told me, if I did that, my wife would kill me. She got that old wore-out ledger, something that happened 40 years ago. 
the details of which no one else could remember, but she had them sharply affixed in mind. Was that loving on her part? Was there, was there sin that was done and unrepented of? No. No. She just didn't like the way things developed and bore that grudge all, all that time. Now I think of that because it has an impact between two congregations and really keeps them separated for all good people to do to try to get them to uh, be more harmonious together. That's what happens if love thinks about evil. Now, I'm going to remember you. I'm going to write that down. I got that in my ledger. I wonder if you ever go back when someone apologizes and cross that out. Okay, let me cross that off my ledger. Whew, that would be good. person with, with that is kind of like the guy earlier. He keeps an open ledger all the time, indelible ink. Love doesn't count up or take account of as in a ledger or notebook. doesn't mean we get stepped on, run over, pushed around, but it means that we don't dwell on the past. We don't aim to settle the account. You know, you never can find gratification in that. The idea of vengeance is something that belongs to the Lord. And we need to leave that all up to Him because we don't have the machinery inside us to deal with vengeance. We just don't have it. That's why it never works. But that's something that's God's business and not yours and mine. And He has assured us He'll take care of that. If we feel that some injustice has occurred, some pain has been too deep, some injury has been too long sustained, don't try to settle the account. God's going to settle those accounts with those who have injured us. And let's leave that business to him. He knows how to do that. He's righteous and can do that. We're not in a position to do that. We point the finger at somebody. we got three pointing back at us. So love does not reflect on evil. Also, love does not rejoice in iniquity. It doesn't rejoice or be glad in iniquity. In Romans 1, you remember verse 32, after a long list of horrible, gruesome, ugly sins, he talks about those who cannot inherit the kingdom of God, and he mentions not only those who do the same, but have pleasure in them that do. Well, I think of that when I think of this word here, rejoices not in iniquity. We can't have pleasure in those that do commit iniquity. We need to see it for what it is, and that's the loving thing to do. Also, love rejoices in the truth. It's rejoicing or glad. Here we find that this rejoicing puts us on the side of the angels. Remember in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, that uh, the angels of God in heaven rejoice over one sinner that comes to repentance. He, they're rejoicing in the truth. The angels desire to look into these things, First Peter 1 and 12. They desire to look into the things right now that are happening. I tell you, as they look into this assembly today, this is the second time I've been here at Bobby Branch, but looking into this assembly, they see these children you've got sitting here in these pews, so well behaved, you bringing them to the services of the church. They see that. They know the level of interest you have in things divine. They know what it took you to get up and get them kids ready. One Sunday morning, a lady's coming up to the door. she got two little girls, just pretty as a picture. I said, well, good morning. You know, How are you this morning? She said, I need a lesson on hell, fire, and damnation. I said, what? That would have been the last thing I thought would come out of her mind. I said, why is that? She said, you don't know what it's like getting two little girls ready. <laughs> What family? They haven't started spanking their child yet. She's just a cute little three-year-old, a two-year-old girl. And uh, I asked, "Where were you guys at Sunday school? I didn't see y'all this morning." She said, "We couldn't get her ready." I said, "Couldn't get her ready? No." Well, they dressed her. You know what she did? She pulled it off. Well, where are you going? Back down to her diaper. Where are you doing? They get her dressed again. She pulled it off. They did that instead of spanking her. They did that and missed Sunday school about it. We were all chuckling. What? Well, it takes some effort to get these children here. It takes some effort to allow them to behave. Have them sit up in the front where they can see what's going on and pay attention. It took us all effort to be here, and we're here by design. 
Well, we're here because we want to be on the side of the angels. The angels desire to look into these things. Beautiful prayers that were led today, songs that were sung, our activities around this table this morning. Oh, heaven is interesting. And what love will do is it rejoices in the truth. It puts us on the side of the angels. And then love bears all things. Bears. It endures or puts up with. Stege is the Greek word. Passes over in silence. There are some things that we just bear with. Sometimes people are not yet at a maturity level spiritually and we must bear with them. I know I'm, we lived neighbors to a couple when we lived in Spain and we encouraged them to obey the gospel. They finally did. And one of their practices was that the, on base they had a restaurant in one building, a hallway, and another club in, that same, in a different building but on that same site. And they would go over there and dance. Well, we were teaching them the gospel. I didn't hit him between the eyes with, his, with what they were doing over there. I, I mentioned, uh, you're going to a dance. Uh-huh. I only dance with my wife, though. I don't dance with anybody else. I said, oh, good. I said, I hope those blinders you're wearing are working out fine for you. Over there, out on the dance floor. But some years later, he told me, he said, you know, I appreciate you not scolding me about that. Well, he had a lot, a lot to learn. And we talked about that. He knew that it was wrong. But it took him time to see that. He had to bear with him. He's responsible for it. I told him about it. His blood is off my hands on it. But love bears all things. And some of you know far better than I ever will about what it is to bear all things. I think about the lady who's a Christian whose husband was a gospel preacher and fell away. And it was their habit like it is with, with some of us who, who dress nicely. Your wife lays out your clothes. That's why he looks so good. I know my brother-in-law was colorblind. If he dressed himself, he looked like he's ready for one of these hobo parties or something. Well, a sister lay out his clothes. Well, this lady that I'm telling you about laid out her husband's clothes. That had been their practice. She never stopped doing that. It was years and years and years. Every Sunday morning she'd lay out those clothes on the bed. When she got back home from the services of the church, she'd put them back in the closet. He wouldn't even hang them up. Do you know one day that man put them clothes on, went back to the services of the church with her, and when he died he was teaching auditorium class in the local congregation. What's that woman doing? Well, she's enduring and putting up with some things. Don't you know it broke her heart to see him in that state? I know a man that guy baptized. He said, this is the way I met him. He said, there's a guy who's a great gospel preacher, but he's unfaithful. Man, we need to do something. And he was working as a butcher in the local grocery store. He said, let's go see him. We went to the grocery store to see him. And they, a messenger went back and told who we were, what we were doing. Well, he, can't, he wouldn't even come out. That's him back there? Oh, okay. And it was even a couple of years after that till he responded to the invitation and was restored. But love bears all things. Love believes all things. Well, what, what does that mean? It's not gullible, but it has faith in men. We can have appropriate faith in men, bearing all things, believing all things. Certainly all things are possible. I know when, when we were going to school, they would call us diamonds in the rough. Well, some of us are gravel to start with, but I'm just saying they, they could see us being polished up. But then uh, love hopes all things. We're saved by hope, Romans 8:24. It sees the bright side of things and does not despair. Hope. You know, I don't know about this. I, I think I'm right in saying this. I've, I've looked. I haven't, uh, I don't know if I've been thoroughgoing enough, but you help me. I, don't, I can't find the word hope in the Koran. If you found it, I'd like to know where it is in there. It's not in their concordance. And we may be able to, 
to, to find. But I, I don't think the word hope is even in the Quran. I'll say that and stand corrected if I'm wrong about that. I know there's no hope in the religion, that's for sure. But notice the contrasting difference between the religion of Islam and the religion of Christ. No hope. And yet we are saved by hope. Well, love hopes all things. It does not despair. You want to know why you have all the wars and the bombings? Despair. Those people live in a perpetual state of despair. What, for what do they have to live? Nothing. And then uh, moving through the list here also, love endures all things. It perseveres. It carries on like a stout-hearted soldier. The other day, Sheila, we were in the hospital, had some time to do some reading, and Sheila's reading me T.B. Larimore's Victory Address. You know what the subject was? Perseverance. Oh, that's grand. If you can get that in Larimore and his boys by F.D. Shrigley, that would be worthwhile to read. If I had it here, I'd read it and we'd be here all afternoon. But I just want to make the point of the value of perseverance. The ones who persevere to the end will be saved, Matthew 10 and 20. And then also, love never fails. The perpetuity of love. Love survives everything. Well, these are some grand thoughts, and there are 16 ingredients there. You might want to make a list of them, go through, try to remember them, not leave one out. Because here you have the biblical definition of love, the ingredients of love. Read as a group, love suffereth long and is kind. Love is envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love never faileth. With that definition of love, we truly can love each other sincerely and long. Well, I just wanted to mention the ingredients of love. And then finally, in the last place, I don't have anything else on that. In the last place here, he talks about that the temporary gifts of the Holy Spirit would terminate in the completed revelation of God's will, verses 8 to 10. And we would be able to stand forward in a mature way. Now abiding faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Greatest in the sense that it underlies all of them and is essential to any one of the others. Well, I thank you so much for your kind attention to that and would encourage you to spend a little time memorizing 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The importance of love, verse 1 to 3. The ingredients of love, verses 4 to 8. And the indestructibility of love, verses 8 to 13. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The love of God manifest in Jesus Christ allows us to have the gospel plan of salvation from which we can encourage men and women to draw nigh to the riven side of our crucified Savior. Today, if you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to obey the gospel. We've got a song of invitation. Did you announce the number? 61. Number 61. I was going to say, if you announce the number, I missed it. I miss so many things I can't keep up with. <laughs> but we're going to have a song of invitation. If you're not a Christian, we want you to know the Bible teaches the love of God. Is about it. All that, that we say and do is motivated or based on this love. And if you're not a Christian, we want to urge you to be drawn to God by his love. Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. In uh, John 12, 31 and 32. We're drawn to him, and as we are, we are to believe him to be the Son of God, John 3.16. And realizing that our sin separates us from God, which is, it does, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, we repent or turn away from that sin. We change our thoughts 
to align them with heaven's way. Submission to the will of God, to me, is the essence of repentance while we reject our own will. Turning. It's the turning point. And then there is the confession of our faith. Jesus said, Whosoever will confess me before men, him will also confess before my Father, which is in heaven. Matthew 10, 32. And Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16, 16. That baptism is in the name of the sacred three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 18. If you've never been baptized, you still bear every sin you've ever committed and will stand before God in judgment with that. Paul writes, Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men to obey the gospel and be a recipient of the love of God and then mirror that love in your heart and life. That's the goal, that heaven might be our home. The Lord will add the faithful who have faithfully obeyed him to the church as they're baptized into Christ. Galatians 3 and 27 tells us. If you're a child of God and we've been talking about the subject of love and you notice on that list, if we were taking our own test and putting a checkbox out there, which one of these am I missing and we're, we don't have a passing score and we realize the reason for it is because of sinful attitudes, we need to clear that out so we can get back to the ingredients of love and have what heaven wants us to have. And sometimes that calls for repentance and prayer and that opportunity is ours too. Heaven's invitation is yours today. If we can assist you in obeying the gospel, we stand ready to do so as we stand and as we sing.